Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Monday night. I'm going to see if I can takes his opportunity to do the Parshan out, if possible, or something along those lines. Uh, happy to say that tonight's uh, podcast is being sponsored by uh, Keith Reich, Keith Reich uh, from the Five Towns, and uh, very grateful for this. Uh, this is Lezecher Nishmas Yosef Yuspa Ben Chizkio, Shama Shambalia. We'll be talking about other yard sites perhaps tonight. And uh, we're always grateful for all of our sponsors, as I say. And that's when you know you mean it. So thank you, Keith. Pasha Vayigash, this week, as we all know, happens to come out on Sarbatevis week. Sarbatevis is a Friday, and then, then comes Shabbos. And I have a different angle this week for a personal reason. And that is that uh, tonight... When I'm saying this podcast, or Eighth Day of Tevez, I'm saying Kaddish for the first time, me. I'm saying Kaddish for the first time for my sister, for a sister of mine. No, she didn't die recently. Didn't know about it till recently. Uh, and in our parsha, we have similar things. Uh, I'll explain what I mean. First of all, in the case of the parsha, as you know, uh, this week is the revelation of Joseph to his brothers. It's a shock. <laughs> it's a shock. Uh, we have a lot of heart attacks going on in this week's uh, parsha and last week too. I'm serious. And he said, "Ani Yosef, uh, you know, Haod Avichai." And then he says, "Ani Yosef Achichem Hashem Achartem Mesim Mitzrayma." He calls a spade a spade. He doesn't say, "I ended up here," you know, through the will of the Lord. You sold me here. So basically, let's cut through the baloney. Hashem achartem osi mitzrayma. You, 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 the guys that sent me down to Egypt. So the last twenty years or whatever in my life, thanks to you, buds. But he immediately says something very, very interesting to me. Don't come depressed. Now he doesn't say don't be afraid. He says don't get depressed. Maybe they're depressed over the fact that um, you know now he's the ruler. And uh, who knows what's going to happen, or their plans didn't work. And don't get angry. They shouldn't get angry. He shouldn't get angry. <laughs> what does that mean? You shouldn't get angry. He's the one who shouldn't get angry. Isn't that right? Okay. And uh, But he goes on to say, we see now, with perspective, it was all part of a divine plan. It's all part of a plan to survive the famine. And he goes on to say, you're not the ones who sent me here. Hashem did. Now, of course, obviously, they sent him there. He made that clear. But he said, if you take a larger scope, you see, that was meant to end up in Egypt. Right? Uh, he doesn't forgive them. It doesn't say that. But he doesn't go into that. Right? And he says, I'll take care of you. Right? Basically, I'll take care of you. 
you know, don't worry, I'll take care of you. But uh, meanwhile, they didn't know what's going on with all these years. Uh, they obviously um, are uh, freaking. Uh, it's famous in the Chazal. I'm sure I mentioned it last year. There's a machlokis uh, in the in the Medesh Rabban versus Medesh Sanchumah. And that is, uh, Joseph reveals himself. He said, clear the room. In the Middle East, nobody clears the room. You never let the Secret Service go on. Can you imagine the president of Egypt or Syria, one of these dictators, clear the room? Uh, I think I've mentioned it here before. In Plutarch, lives of famous Greeks and Romans. Don't ask me how I remember this. Uh, he talks about Antigone Cyclops, one of the rulers after Alexander the Great. Uh, Antigone uh, Monomachus. One-eyed. And one of these ruthless Greek dudes, Macedonian generals, and he had a son, Demetrius, Demetrius Polyorcetes, Demetrius the Conqueror of Cities. And he tells a story there that uh, he was entertaining foreign ambassadors and his son, Demetrius, who was like 20, came back from hunting wild boar or something like that. And he rode into the palace courtyard where the king was, where the father was and the ambassadors. And he jumped off the horse and he ran over and gave his father a big hug and kiss. And he ran holding his spear. They just coming back from the hunt. And the ambassadors were shocked. You would let your son come within Dalai Lama's of you with a spear? Because in the Middle East, everybody kills everybody. And so here, Joseph, the Chazal, reacting to this. says, And the Chazal, looking from Roman perspective, living Roman times, Greek perspective, nobody does that. And I remember... In the Medish Rabbah, it says something like, wasn't he afraid? And the answer is no. He knew his sons were, his brothers were from. They won't kill him. You know, like that. Uh, but in the Medish Tankum, it says they tried to kill him. <laughs> so that's probably the Medayik that because it says, Ayichar Menechem. Otherwise, it's strange. Why is Joseph, who was the one who was wronged, why does he have to say, don't get angry? Unless you say, there's that son of a gun. He's been the one that was messing us 20 years ago. And now he's in Egypt, he's going to try to kill us, and so on and so forth. So before he would have a chance to say, bygones are bygones, and I will support all of you, they would kill him on the spot. So in order to forbear that, you know, he uh, he had to uh, immediately explain what happened. Or you say uh, that, you know, his son protected him. I think it's a Menashe or something like that. His son protected him. And so they weren't able, you know, to do any harm to him. Medrash Rabbah has a nicer way. They said, no, we, did, we they would never do a thing. These two Midrashim, opposite opinions you find in Chazal, obviously always reflect a wonderful literary ambiguity in the narrative. That's how you understand the opposing views in Agatha of Chazal, if you understand how to view Agatha. Two schools of thought about how the brothers react to Yosef. And then he goes on to say, bring Yaakov down and all the rest of it. And I'm sure... They are scared out of their mind, making their pants. My goodness, how are they going to explain this to Yaakov? Right? Uh, because they said he was dead from a Chayarah Chalasu. They're the ones who lied to him. They're the ones who said he was torn to bits. Oh, really? He wasn't torn to bits? He went to Egypt. Gee, how did he get to Egypt? And Yosef says, Don't delay. I mean, don't concoct some reason and tell the father. And, um, yeah, I'm sure 
there are plenty worried about the conversation that never actually took place. Because in the end, when Yaakov and Yosef meet in this week's Parsha, basically Yaakov says, I'm ready to die. I, I, I can go happy now. Amusa, palm, achri rosis, panecho. Right? But Yaakov doesn't say it like this. How'd you end up in Egypt? What happened to you 20 years ago? I sent you out to visit your brothers, and next thing I know, you're gone. And now 20, 30 years later, you're in Egypt, the Viceroy. What happened? And then Yosef would say this, well, they tried to kill me, he threw him in the hole. And Yaakov would say, what? And he'd tell brothers, how could you try to kill Yosef? And blah, blah, blah. None of that happened. None of that happened. Uh, Yaakov doesn't bring it up, Yosef doesn't bring it up. That's fascinating. Right? It's fascinating. Now, and by the way, when they tell Yaakov, uh, this also is funny. It's not funny, but it's funny. If you look at the Parsha, basically, let's put it this way. Yaakov has been in deep depression uh, since the death of Joseph. Yaakov is I will go to death in, in deep depression. Totally understandable. It's a terrible thing. Even though he had 12 children, 12 boys, but he liked Joseph the most. It's a terrible thing. Okay, the, the, the mental anguish they put him through, I don't know how they justified it. I don't know how they justified it. And Furthermore, from a moral perspective, I don't know how they justified themselves. It reminds me a little bit of the corona. I'll tell you what I mean. The people now say like this, I don't have to wear a mask. I don't got to do nice junk. Uh, doctors don't know what they're talking about. I can have a wedding. I can have a bar mitzvah. So it doesn't mean anything. And then you say like this, how do you know you're right? Why don't you just be played safe? No, I'm 100% sure I'm right. Why don't you just say Suffolk? Right? For Suffolk, wear a mask. For Suffolk, don't go here and don't go there. No, I'm sure I'm right. You know, this is the from Mishagas. Uh, you read it every day in the paper, they're nuts. No, you don't have to be crazy to be a from Jew, but it definitely helps. So you, you know, you see it all the time. They're that sure. What if somebody dies? Which happens, of course, right? There are people dying from this. Not my fault. You know, not my fault. You get at that mentality. It can't go, it can't be me wrong. What did the Shvatim, what did the brothers think when Yosef reveals himself on the Yosef? And it turns out that he's not only trying to kill him, not trying to kill him, he's the one that's going to support them. They're going to be living off of him. For the rest of their lives, Yosef sent them a check every month. Right? That's what it says. Yosef He gave him a check every month. That is how they lived in Goshen. So what kind of conversation did they have among each other? We donned him for a rodev. Wait a minute. You donned him for a rodev? Okay, fine. And therefore you were convinced that it's not only mutter, but imperative to kill him. Think about what you're saying for a second. If I get together, like they, they did, and we weigh this matter with due solemnity and COVID Rosh, you don't just go and say, I'm giving you the right to kill somebody because he's a row, Dave, unless you're dock on shore. All right? Uh, and it turned out that he wasn't a row, Dave. So, how did they view themselves as Bali Torah, meaning, I guess their judgment's not that great? Or am I wrong? Or did they say, really, he was a road, Dave, just like the guy with the corona, and we're right, and things have changed, and Hashem made it that, you know, he's not able to carry out his evil designs against us. I don't know how they worked it out in their minds. But the fascinating question, what did they say to themselves? Did they say, wow, Hashem Manachnu, because we donned you wrong. I see now that what we thought was a Din Torah, I'm going by the Chazals that say 
that this is the best possible interpretation. They didn't stop murdering him in the Velteron. They murdered him where they tried to because they were convinced it's a rodif. They had some kind of a basin, whatever that means. I mean, they can't judge their own relative, but, you know, whatever, whatever that means. They had some kind of a process. You see now the process was shot through with, with error. So per, that, that itself should, you know, sh- shake up somebody. So I guess, I guess my learning's not that great. I was ready to go and, and, and kill an innocent person. It's like a judge who, based on the evidence, said, I guess, plenty is high miso. And let's say, for example, they're about to kill him. And then it turns out that a mistake was made. Uh, one type of judge will say like this, wow, I'm never going to, I'm quitting the judge business. Another one will say like this, I was right. Based on the evidence I had, I was right. I didn't do anything wrong. Now that stubborn business. I told you once the famous story that Jacob Emden tells about his grandparents. It's very famous, in which his grandparents were running away from the Cossacks over a bridge. It was his grandfather and the grandfather's daughter and her husband. The grandfather was a Shire Fryman. I did a podcast for him. And to make a long story short, the Cossacks were getting closer on this bridge, and the grandfather and daughter jumped off the bridge and, and saved their lives, and the husband left behind fell in the hands of the Cossacks. And everybody was sure he was dead. <coughs> and when the grandfather and daughter escaped and went somewhere else, they went to Budapest, Buda. So they had a dental eventually, and, and they judged her a gunna case. And they found Adam that saw him get killed. The story goes, very famous story. And the father said, and it was his own daughter. So uh, he was judging a case involving his own daughter, meaning, so he definitely wants to be sure that the husband's really dead if he's going to issue a heter to get married. And he said, I'm absolutely sure. And the daughter famously, a famous story, said, I guess, I don't feel right. And the, the kishka is, I don't feel right. And, and he said, I assure you, we went through Drisha Bachakira. We did all the judicial process. The Adam or good Adam. I'll be then according to Shulchan Aruch, You can get married. And she says, I don't challenge what you're saying, but I don't feel right. And of course, you know, at the end of the story, the husband showed up. He survived most improbably, but he survived. Whereupon the father said like this, I'm never going to judge another Aguna case because I see I don't have Siyat Deshmaya. Here's a Gohan Inspector, and they say about Moshe Feinstein, you know, he always got it right. Then Siyat Deshmaya. If you see over here, then see after the there's something wrong with you as a judge, and so get out of the Agona business. So what about the Shvatim? Uh, did they have Siata the if they judged Joseph to be a killer? A Rodev? Or do they say, Well, we're never gonna judge these cases again? None of this comes clear in the story. What we know is they run back to the father, and here's the funny part. It's not funny, but here's the funny part. You know, break the news gently. Okay, break the news gently. The father's been in depression. He's already mourning maybe Binyamin will be killed. You know the whole story. The Yaakov is in bad shape. And the brothers are coming back. What they should have said was, sit down, have a cup of coffee, let's talk about the news, let's talk about the Orioles. And in the middle of the conversation, you say, you know, we've heard rumors. Maybe, 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 Ulai Efsher Efsher, Yosef wasn't killed after all. We just heard rumors. And then an hour later or a day later, you know, we heard more rumors. It's possible that he survived. And then a day later, you see what I'm saying? You know, little by little. Little by little. Uh, nope. They come back. It's a Vayalu. Me Mitzrayim. Vayoritz Kanan. El Yaakovim. Vayagidu Lolimer. Oh, Yosef Chai. Boy, they dropped down with like an atomic bomb on him. 
Yosef is alive. Well, naturally, Vayafa Glebo, he had a heart attack. Vayafa Glebo, it was a shock. The, the, you know what What do you call it? The, that's the Ebenezer and the Ramban. You know, they, they say those words. They say, he had a heart attack. Where is it? Let me see here. The Ibn Ezra says, Sha'amad Libo Vidoma. His heart stops. Vayamas Libo. And uh, the Ramban is even more. He says, Nisbata Libo Pusik Nishimasi. Stop breathing. Kipuska Tunasalev. Vayikames. That's a heart attack, baby. Vizer Inyu Yodua, the Ramban says. Bevoa Simcha Pitom. We tell sudden news, even good news, suddenly. It's in the Ramban this week. Look up in the medical books, you know, Ramban was a doctor. Anybody who's not strong, you take a shock, you give him a heart attack. She's sal for Rabbim, but simcha pesa pisom. I see this farnus as the same thing. Nisal for chosrik sas to fika slibov, rucho. Get a mild heart attack, whatever. Uh, boy, that wasn't too smart, right? I think I told you, I remember Avadi Yosef came to near Israel when I was there long ago in the 70s and uh, came twice, as I recall. And the first time, uh, it was in the old base medrash, and uh, I remember certain parts distinctly and other parts less distinctly. And uh, it was in Gitin, and I don't remember the whole sheer, you know what I mean? You know, words like that. I'm sorry to say I don't remember the sheer, but I remember the joke. Because <laughs> Avad Yosef, like some besides everything else, was a stand-up comedian, uh, among other things. And he could throw a joke in, in the middle of the sheer, like Ed Sullivan's show. And I remember he said, in Ivrit, this reminds me of the lady who hears on the news... Uh, I'm going back to the 70s now. A lady hears on the news that her husband won the Mifla Pius. He won the jackpot. And her husband has a weak heart. This is the story he's telling. I'm, I'm paraphrasing now what Avad Yosef said. And she's afraid if he gets the news, it'll shake him up, give him a heart attack. And so she invites the family friend, who's a cardiologist, to come to dinner and break the news gently. And Avad Yosef went to the whole mimicking business she sets the table, makes a nice dinner. The, the 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 friend comes over. They have a dinner, this and that and the other. And then when the dinner's over, they go salon to the salon, and she says, "I'm gonna bring out some coffee," and they have a smoke. <laughs> this is what he said, not me. And in the middle, the cardiologist says to the guy, "He said, my friend, well, I'm gonna ask you just a general. This is completely what you call theoretical question. Just a theoretical question." What would you say, theoretically, if I told... I'm making this up, he says. Suppose I told you you won the jackpot, right? You're a rich man. What would you do? This theoretically. You know, hypothetically, a better word. And this is what I says. So the guy says, like Doc, if I won the jackpot and you and I have been friends forever, I'd give half the money, half the winnings to you. Whereupon the doctor has a heart attack and plots his over and dies. You understand? That's what happened with Yaakov this week. Od Yosef Chai, Chiyom Hashem Yitzrayim, Vayofak Libo, Kilo Aminulhem. Now, by the way, the brothers had a heart attack in last week's Parsha. Am I right or am I wrong? Do you remember what I'm talking about? 
Again, the brothers had a heart attack. When they went to Egypt the first time to get food, and Yosef played his tricks on them, and they paid cash, as we know, and what happened? Uh, it says that he put he arranged that their cash should be put back in their wallets, in their amtachas, and when they got back to Canaan, or maybe on the on the Malone, on the way home in the hotel, they opened their bags and the cash was there. The money is back in our wallet. They're going to think we're thieves. And the heart attack. Uh, I just mentioned before, the language is very, very interesting to me because it should say in plural. Libo Sam, I guess. You know, their hearts uh, went out from them. They had a collective... They had a collective heart attack. Sun shock. So, everybody's getting heart failure over here. The brothers, and then... What do you call it? The father? It's all over the place. Um, very interesting. Uh, the shock is there. The honesty, I'm not sure about. Now, this has particular relevance to me, myself, and I. Because I mentioned before... I'm doing this podcast today on what's the night of the 8th of Tavis. Starts at night. A year ago, in 2019, um, the Germans, they put online, on computer, online, all the concentration camp records. I am uh, the child of a second marriage. My father was married before, my mother was married before. In the Holocaust. My father lost a family, my mother lost a family. And then they came to this country after the war, and eventually they got married over here, and that's me and my sister. Get it? Uh, when I was born, it was very common. I was not unique at all. When I was going to school, a lot of people did not have grandparents. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Now, Baruch Hashem is a different world, but that time I'm talking about. And um, so what happened to my father's other family? I don't know. Uh, he lived in Lithuania. Uh, if you know anything about the Holocaust in Lithuania, at the very beginning of the war, the Germans came with the Lithuanians and they shot 85% of the Lithuanian Jews. In other words, between June of 41 and December of 41, six months, they just shot 85% of Lithuanian Jewry. By the time you get to Pearl Harbor, 85% of Jews were killed. So the ones who suffered in the ghettos was the remaining 15% including my father and his wife and daughter. Uh, I knew this in general way. My father died long ago. I knew in general way, but I knew the details. Uh, and he eventually, they, and he, they were in the ghetto in Chavo uh, until 44. That's what happened. The 15% who survived were in three ghettos, either Vilna, Chavo, or, or, or Kovna. Everywhere else they were killed. And... They're putting slave labor. You know what I mean? Slave labor. And plenty of them were tortured and killed along the way. So in 1942, 43, and 44, plenty were killed and tortured in various ways. Just read me Ma Makim. You know, that kind of thing. You know, from Ushery and those kind of places. Because he was there in Kovna. Or you can get this new book that came out not long ago, Matopal Gramansky. He was in the Kovna ghetto. This is all Yadavri Dua. Now, uh, 
Then in 44, whoever was still left alive, so what is that, 5%, 10%, I don't know, whoever was still left alive, uh, the Germans, because the Russian army was getting closer, they liquidated the ghettos, which means they either came in the ghettos and killed everybody, or else they put them on trains and sent them to concentration camps inside Germany, uh, you know, to the west. So, the Jews from Shavel Ghetto, where my father was, were sent to Stutthof concentration camp. Well-known place, near Danzig. And, um, Stutthof is, is the one place where they actually had lampshades, lampshades out of human skin. I think that was the one place that happened. And they had the gas chambers there, the guns business. And then my father was there for a short while, and then he was sent to forced labor to Dachau, which is all the way in the western side of Germany. But his wife and daughter remained behind in uh, Stutthof concentration camp. All of this I discovered a year ago in 2019, when all this stuff was revealed online for the first time, and all the concentration camp records were made available to the public. All you have to do is read a little German, which I can do. And... Uh, you have to understand, the Jews that were shot during those six months or other places, like when they went to Tells and just shot everybody, there were no records for them. They just put them all in a pit, you know, Bobby R. They just shot everybody, put them in a pit. But I'm talking about the ones who went through the camp system. Uh, you know, Germans had all kinds of concentration camps of different Madregas. And those who went, they, so they went through a bureaucratic system and there were records about them. The day they were arrested, as they call it and what their medical condition, and what they look like, and all this kind of stuff. And now it's online. So for me, it's a freaky, you know what I'm saying? Freaky experience. And so my sister, who lives in Israel, she's, uh, you know, Johnny on the spot on this. And she immediately emailed me. It was around Lag Bomer last year, meaning of 2019. And she said, go look, daddy's online, da, da, da. And first I found my father's stuff, and then she was a legal beagle, and she went to find the wife and, 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 and daughter who perished. So the wife and daughter stayed behind in this concentration camp. And we eventually found the records online. Uh, the wife's name, that's my father's first wife, her name was Huddle. And her daughter's name, that would be my sister, if I ever met her, of course, and it never happened. Her name would be Henny. And uh, they were stood off from middle of, uh, from July of 44, Till today, till the 8th of Tavis, December 24, 1944. Uh, Erev Christmas. And uh, then they, what did they do? The Germans, they gave them both injection of phenol, and that stimulates a heart attack. And then you say like this, they die from heart attack. And that's the cause of death. Totus Bescheidigung. They have a death certificate. The Plony and Plony die from a heart attack. Wow. You give them the you 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 provoke the heart attack with the shot, and then you say you die from a heart attack. But that's the momsers who the Germans were. No surprise over there. The bureaucratic nature of it, they feel necessary to go through all the shtick to make it look like they was a medical when really you induced a medical. That's Hitler, you know. That's what they call the banality of evil, from Hannah Arendt, that they want a bureaucratic face to the horrors that they perpetrated. You know, it should look like a it's a heart attack. That's who Hitler was. And uh, this was last year that I discovered this. It was a big shock. Um, the girl was 14 years old. So again, I'm talking about somebody. Of course, if she remained, I wouldn't be here because my father would be married to the first wife. You understand? 
she was killed. So then my father remarried after the war that being my mother. I'm, I'm from round two. This is a sister I never knew. But it's a chos me'av. You know, it's, it's a sister. And none of us knew this. And there's no way my father knew this because he survived the war. And Dachau was liberated by the Americans. Who knew what happened elsewhere? And none of these records were made available to the public, you know, in those years. And um, therefore, uh, this year, tonight, when I'm speaking to you, is the first time anybody ever said Kaddish for her on her yard site. Isn't that amazing? At least it is to me. So I'm saying Kaddish tonight, and I'm mentioning this podcast, when we're talking about Vayofa Glibam, which happened in a much more benign way, Vayetzi Libam, here it's Vatezi Libal, idea of Germans, uh, through, through perverted science as Churchill called it. They're giving somebody a shot in the heart, which stimulates, makes a heart attack. There's a 14-year-old girl had a heart attack with her mother. So it's very, and by the way, the next day, December 25, which is Christmas, burned the bodies. It's a cremation. So in other words, Hitler didn't stop on any Christian holidays. The Holocaust did not stop on Yom Tovim or Chagas or, you know, Jewish holidays or Christian holidays. Adrava. That's probably his idea of having a good time on, on Xmas. And uh, so I think that's just remarkable, right? Uh, I mention it because, uh, first of all, you see these kind of phenomena in Parsha Vayigash, of course, Lahavdol. And second of all, this Shabbos is uh, Asar Batavis. And uh, many people have the custom, I never did, many people have the custom that if they have loved ones who perish in the Holocaust and they don't know when. They died, and that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. Now, they used to say in Israel, the Rabbanut and others, they should make an Asar Batavis. Uh, I think the reason was originally because, back in Rav Herzog's time, I think, because otherwise, the state of Israel wanted to do it on Yom HaShoah. But the Yom HaShoah was, what, Cholamoid or something like that, right? It wasn't Yom HaShoah. Uh, no, it's a Hey or It came out at a time that they didn't, that they didn't want to do that. Can't remember exactly why, right? Uh, instead, they said it's a better idea to do it uh, on the Sarbatavis, which is apparently a collective uh, day of mourning anyway. And so there are a lot of people. I've seen this farm. Maybe some of the people who's listening to me now. Maybe you, your parents, your grandparents have such a minute that they are lighting candles for people who perished because uh, they don't know the day. Right? They do not know the day. Um, in some places, like Hungarians, they have a general, uh, somewhat of a better idea. But a lot of places, they don't know they only do a Sarbatavis. This is a different type of lighting of the candles. And uh, now for the first time in 75 years, I guess, which is freaky, uh, we're going to have it you know, in my family. Now, um, as I said before, obviously none of that happened with the Joseph and the brothers. But still... Uh, at this time of the year, when you have the national tragedy, the Serbatavis, it's kind of thought-provoking. It is to me. Uh, in the case of Yaakov, you have uh, somewhat different than I'm speaking about, but what I just described is a form of closure. Not that I'm such an emotional person, all the rest. I mean, I knew she said, I don't know exactly when. This is all news to me. But knowing this information that I have, and what her name exactly was, and all that. It's, I can't say closure, but you know what I'm saying. You feel more of a, 
a wholesome relationship with an unknown piece of the past. At least that's the way I feel in my highly personal situation I'm sharing with you in this podcast today. Um, in the case of uh, of Yaakov and uh, and and the father and and I mean and Yosef, we find a, a funny situation because Yaakov did not have closure until he met Yosef. The whole Yaakov was just like that uh, grandmother of uh, Yaakov Emden. He said, "I don't feel right." Because it, what does the Chazal say? Hachayim made a mason or something like that. Hachayim Words to the effect that if someone's really alive, they have no closure. We know in Israel the anguish that they're going for an MIA, right? And in America too, by the way. You know, the people with the MIA, uh, they don't know one way or the other. And of course, let me put it this way. Suppose someone had a relative that was MIA in World War II. They're gone. I mean, it's 50, 60, 70, 80 years now, right? I mean, I get that. But you know what I'm saying? Not to know for sure. That's why Jacob felt that when he, went, when he met Yosef, he got the closure. Now, in this case, a positive way. As he says, After I seen you, this is the answer to my dreams. I never dreamed that I would meet you. You know what I'm saying? This is, this is too good to be true, as the expression goes. And uh, that's why, we all know that Yaakov, you know, was in a mood. <laughs> Imagine, this is something he uttered, as we all know. Um, besides all the different thousands of Farshim wanted, just think of it at a push of shot level. When he saw Yosef was actually alive in such an improbable way, and he's the ruler of Egypt, etc., etc., and was who's supporting the Gansavelt, Shema Yisrael Hashem Look, I mean, let's put it this way. If that don't make you believe in God, nothing will. Right? I mean, the long-lost son turns out to be not dead and to be living in clover and on top of the whole world. I mean, if that doesn't convince you that Bernishon runs the world, <laughs> then what does? Hashem Lokein Hashem In my mind, you don't need any fancy shots for that. You just have to remember, t- t- tonight, tomorrow, when you say Shema, you know, always think of Parsha Vigash, and you just say like this, when Yaakov saw the way events had turned out, he said, there is a God, he runs the world. I mean, you know, now you see it, the pile. You know, that, that's, that's to my mind the way it works. And uh, closure is a big thing. I just mentioned in the Zoom uh, a couple years ago, you'll probably remember this, but Israel gave back a whole bunch of live terrorists in exchange for two or three dead bodies. Remember that? And it bothered me at the time that, and a lot of people, that Israel's giving back Live for dead. And there's a movement against it now in Israel, if you follow the papers. But it's not simply live for dead, but the live terrorists you're giving back, they're going to perpetrate more more horrors. And second of all, the dead was dead. Oh, how's that going to help? Well, it helped the family. All right, help the family. But meanwhile, you damage the national morale. Because people say, less than less dying. The guy can go and commit the worst crimes, like that guy Kuntar or whatever, who smashed in the baby with a rock, and then they let him go. And the Arabs, in terms of terrorism, terrorism is always a mind game, were hoping that this was smash the morale of Israel. That's the general plan of Hamas, that, you know, always caused damage to the morale, and eventually the Jews would just leave the country. And so, that's I'm serious, That's if you study closely their writings, that's their main belief. You know, because they view Jews as colonialists, and how did they get rid of the French in Algeria? They made them so scared, eventually they left. Had to get rid of the Americans in Vietnam. 
They, they made so much terrorism, they just left. Had to get rid of the British in India. Same thing, you know, like that. So how the, the Jews will leave Israel, you know, when, they, when, when they're freaked out. And uh, this bothered me at the time. And I was wondering at the Israeli government that they're willing to do this. And then I saw, to my surprise, a happy surprise, that I was mistaken, I was wrong. Because I observed that in Israel, the morale went up. Because Jews are Jews, and we have funny psychology, we have a lot of minuses, we also have our pluses. And when the public saw that the families of the MIA now got the closure, that the woman knows that her husband's dead for sure, uh, it's not a question of a gunna. That she knows the matzah for sure, everybody in Israel felt good. And they said, you know, it was worth letting these terrorists go. Now we feel a solidarity that we didn't feel before. And so, in the sense of letting the terrorists go, it was bad. In the sense of increasing the national morale, I'm sure the Arabs were flabbergasted. That's, that's what I think. It's the opposite of what they planned. I would like to be there when that happened, when the Arabs have found out. Because instead of the Israeli morale going down, they took polls. The morale went up, and there were more stark to fight the terrorism than they were before. Which is just, that's who we are. You can never tell you know, how Israel works. It reminds me of a story. I was just talking with uh, Ari Elbaum about the uh, Yom Kippur War. He was asking about the Yom Kippur War. And um, there was a case. This is a true story. Where when the Syrians seized uh, Mount Hermon, which was the Israel high-tech spy center, that's where they had all the uh, code listeners and breakers. They had a lot of high-tech people, high-tech info there. There was a particular guy who the Syrians captured, and he was a Dati guy, uh, a loser type, uh, you know, uh, socially. Uh, and he was a Ben Yachid, too. And like a real loser type, but he's one of his geeks. That's how he ended up in the intelligence corps. He had photographic memory, and so he knew too much. He knew all the codes. He knew everybody's uh, social security number. I'm serious. You go look it up. You can, if you're interested, it's online somewhere. It was besides books, and the Syrians played him like a like a fiddle. In other words, they immediately saw what their potential. And he gave away so much terrible information to the enemy. He told him everything about the Mossad. Told him everything about the codes. He knew everybody's phone number. He knew. He even knew their license plate. He's one of these you know, weirdo photographic memory types. It was a, a total weirdo type and a social loser and all the rest of it. They convinced him Israel had fallen. It's a constant story. And he did more damage to Israel from the intelligence perspective than I don't know who. He's up there with the top two or three people who've hurt Israel more than anything else. And uh, then when the war was over, they returned the prisoners. I remember this. And uh, the Israeli army said like this, this guy's Chayab Misa. I mean, he's worse than 10 Benedict Arnolds, which was true. Which is true. Meaning, if you measure the damage he caused, is incalculable. You get it? It's unbelievable. And if it's not Chayav Misa, which in the army didn't kill you, they should at least put him, you know, the rest of his life in jail or something like that. Now, I remember, Golda Meir said, like, it's leave him alone. Don't do anything. He said, why? Look what terrible thing he did. He said, listen... He's the only son of Holocaust survivors. This is not what Israel does. And I'm not going to cause the parents. Dogma Snefesh. You understand? There's a Ben Yochid. They went through enough of the war. 
It's true he caused terrible damage to Israel, and he will have to live with that for the rest of his life. Let him live with the problem. You understand? And I saw once on the internet, the guy turned out to be some egghead bus driver with a bitter life. He got, but he got married, I'm happy to say. And, you know, he's got to keep us through God. His kids have to keep us through God. He got married. He raised a family. He uh, he had a low-profile type of job situation, all the rest of it. And he's very, very bitter today. Uh, it's surreal. It's, it, it's online, you know. I saw it on Israeli TV. Or Israeli, uh, you know, online. And he said they shouldn't. And he's right, by the way. It wasn't his fault. A guy like him should not be put in the front line where he could have been captured. You know, it wasn't, wasn't fair. And I don't dispute what he says. But the as far as I'm concerned, the best part of the story was what Golda Meir said. Now, if this was any other country, if it was an Arab country, or Russia, or Germany, or America, it's like, this, this guy's like 10 Benedict Arnolds. He caused more, more trouble than uh, Kim Philby and Aldrich James. Shoot him. But she's like, this is, that's, this is Israel. That's not what he operate over here. Especially somebody's only child from the Holocaust survivors. Let him be. Let him be. So, I think there's a lot... When you examine Parshish Vayigash, especially in the light of what I said today, and of Asar Batavis and the Holocaust and all the other things that I evoked, to see the human side of the story, to my mind, is the most interesting side of the story, at least this year. And when you hear Shema Yisrael, Shema Kenan, Shema think try to think of the original context. I think that will uh, perhaps uh, alter the quality of your Krishna, maybe. Anyway, with that, I wish you a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.